Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music welcome to sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media i'm jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the chicago sun times and i'm greg cott i write about rock and roll for the chicago tribune today on the world's only rock and roll talk show we're going to review the new album by swedish indie rock phenoms peter bjorn and john and we're going to talk about the incredible debut album by lily allen chart her last year and have her perform for us in the studio and there'll be a desert island jukebox pick from me you're listening to sound opinions and time now for some music news I've been, I've been raised about the dust like a bloodlust phoenix. It seems the more bullets that I catch, I get the greenest green of all the greenest green pastures in the world. Got a bullet hole in my p- That's a song called I've Been Shot by Tim Fight from a new album called Over the Counter Culture, which you cannot find in retail stores, which you nope. cannot buy it over the internet, but you can find it at Tim Fight's website, timfight.com. Fight is signed to a prestigious record label, Anti, which is the home of people like Tom Waits, Mavis Staples, Nick Cave. Uh, so he has a recording contract. He has a label for which he can seek to put out his records on. Uh, but he has instead decided to give away this record. And the reason is because of its content. Well, we're going to talk with the man himself about his reasoning and giving it away. The content you mentioned, the title says it all, over-the-counter culture. This is a just absolutely on fire, angry record condemning consumerism in American society. In particular, the hip-hop world, mm-hmm. with its obsession for bling and where everything is product and you're not anybody unless you're wearing gold chains. You know, Greg, over the course of a, a singularly weird career, Tim Fight, this guy who was raised in rural Jersey, lives now in uh, in Brooklyn, he's been a uh, novelty rapper who had a major hit in 2001 with a song called Shaniqua, and then he reinvented himself completely as a, like, 1920s blues man, oh brother, where art thou, combined with a post-Beck hip-hop folky, a weird uh, reinvention, but it worked on a 2005 album that Epitaph put out, Gone Ain't Gone. Now here he's combining those two approaches in this weird package that's available for free on the net. All right, let's go to the man that we've just been talking about, uh, Tim Fight, the anti-recording artist, anti-recording label. What's unique about your situation, Tim, is that you are signed to a label of some prestige, and yet you are giving this record away for free on your website. Why did you uh, protest? The The content of the record is, is very anti-consumerist, and uh, the politics of it just wouldn't have matched with anybody else's way of putting it out except for except for mine you know and mine was to put it out for free give it away let everybody have it mm-hmm. Th- this is a noble sentiment tim except at the same time i assume that you you have to pay your rent every month right that's true you can't do this forever you can't just give your music away forever because eventually you have to 
you know, pay the rent. Well, the, the the hope is that that you can give your music away forever. It's just a matter of figuring out when you can and when you can't. And I think as somebody who makes things, there's no better feeling than to give give that away. Then there's the other feeling of having someone treasure it so much that they want to exchange money for it, and that's also a great feeling. But you know, for me personally. The, the giving part is much better than the receiving part. There's a video up on your website as well uh, for the new yeah. record for the song Camouflage. Tell us how that came about. This kid, uh, Ryan Forger, he's you know works for a video company. He approached me on MySpace and said, I want to make a video with you. So we were able to make these videos for you know ridiculously, ridiculously cheap. And that's you know, a really important way of going about things for me. You know, Tim, one of the things that strikes me about Camouflage, the video and the song, um, is on one level we can we can uh, hear that tune as making fun, uh, as the whole album we can hear, making fun of this bling-conscious lifestyle in hip-hop. Uh, you know, you've got to have the right fashion, you've got to have the designer camouflage jeans, but there's a deeper moment in that tune where you're riffing on, I want a shopping bag, I want a shopping bag, body bag, body bag. Can I get a bag for this? Has anybody got a bag? Has anybody got a bag? Body bag, body, body, body bag. For this. I just paid a lot for it. I think I deserve a fucking bag. A big plastic one with a zipper down the front. That's the kind of bag I want. And I'ma take it home, plant it in the ground like a seed. Grow a crop of camouflage so we could all rock for tea. Camouflage, camouflage. It seems to me that the point of the record is not only anti-consumerism, but that we're kind of becoming a nation of zombies that worries about getting the new Xbox or whatever and doesn't pay attention to the fact that we're being led to war. I mean, there's a heavy, you know, you're having a lot of laughs on this record, but there's a heavy underpinning. Yeah, I mean, I was joking about that with a friend of mine, about how, you know, most people, their paranoia is kind of isolated, you know, and they're, they're paranoid for themselves. My paranoia is, is like, extremely broad, you know. I'll be paranoid for, for everybody, you know. If you don't got it in you, I got some for you. I can share, you know. And, and I feel like this record is, is in, you know, is a reflection of that. And in many cases, you know, my hope is to make my paranoia so evident on the record that people realize that in their lives, it's not paranoia. It's actual that there is an insidious force that is uh, that we we have no choice but to reconcile with and, and come to terms with having it eat at our souls and how do we rebuild our souls so that so that they don't get worn away and gradually and gradually worn away until there's nothing left. You know? How has the label been with this, uh, Tim? Obviously, there are some there's some terrific music on this record. I mean. Uh, what I would term hit singles, uh, or at least in a better world they would be. Your label couldn't have been too happy about the fact that, hey, you know, I just want to give this out, you know? I mean, even your, I mean, even your president, Andy Culkin, was saying, you know, there's, there's some tracks on this record that are even better than, our, than on the first record, and I would have loved to have sold this thing. So how are they dealing with it? I think that they've been really, really understanding, for, for the most part, like, they have to do business. They're a business. I, I don't have to. I, I have a choice, you know? In some in some respects, I also signed a contract with them, so now I'm a part of their business, and and I recognize that, and I'm willing to fulfill my end of that bargain. But they also know where I'm coming from politically, and they know that those things mean a lot to me. And if if we're going to have a a good business relationship, they knew that they would have to understand on this one, and that it would have to be okay. So, in the end, I'm sure for them, they see this as a 
if it does well, if people download over the counterculture for free and they like it, you know, they see that as being fueled to the fire for the next record or whatever. In my mind, I, I'm trying not to think about it like that because, like you said, everything turns into commercial, 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 and, <laughs> and then you become nothing but a, a product. Thank you so much for talking with us about this, Tim. It seems like you're being rewarded. Major pieces in, in Boston. Uh, Greg Cott wrote a big piece in the Chicago Tribune. You're getting a lot of attention for this record, and it deserves it over the counterculture. Thanks very much. Take care, Tim. All right, Greg, you know, we rate records here on Sound Opinions on the scale of buy it, burn it, trash it. Uh, our top rating doesn't apply here because you cannot <laughs> buy this. Uh, he's giving it away for free. I happen to think this is one of the greatest albums of the year so far. It blows me away, and I think you're an idiot, pardon the harsh <laughs> language, if you don't download this. There it is for free for you, you to listen to. You owe it to yourself to go on TimFight.com and crash the man's website because you're downloading <laughs> this so many times and you want to give it away to your friends. This music deserves to be heard far and wide. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We like to feature your feedback on the show, so get involved. You can email us your suggestions, comments, questions, or uh, nasty notes for Greg at interact <laughs> at soundopinions.org, or better yet, leave us a voicemail that might make it onto the show. The number is 1-888-859-1800. What you're hearing is the song Smile, and that is a huge single from our next guest, Lily Allen. It's been all over the Internet for the last year, finally breaking in America now. Uh, Lily dropped by our studios a few weeks ago on the heels of her first major U.S. tour. We talked to Lily about her almost accidental career, which brought her from the MySpace.com website to Capitol Records and the top of the U.S. charts, and we got her views on that dreaded cliché, Women in Rock. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I am Greg Cott. He is Jim DeRogatis, and we're in the studio with Lily Allen and her handsome band. Uh, Lily has a great tan. She's, she's out here in the middle of winter in Chicago, and she looks like she's gotten some sun. You were in the big day out in Australia, I think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but before right? that, I was in uh, Jamaica for Christmas, and then we flew f I flew from there to London, London to Japan, Japan to New Zealand, New Zealand to Australia, Australia to L.A., L.A. to New York, <laughs> back to L.A. again, then to San Francisco, and then we're here in Chicago. Oh, it's my a God. A whirlwind. Um, Jet set. All in four weeks. That's right. Wow. Oh my God. This all started in uh, November of 2005 when... Lily had these bright idea to upload some songs onto her MySpace site, and uh, five million downloads later, <laughs> she sits in front of us. Uh, Twelve, thirteen months later, it's an ama amazing rise. All right, still, the album that came out in the UK over the summer is platinum in uh, the UK, just now coming out in the United States. But you were way ahead of the curve. I mean, you were tugging. The record company was in no hurry to get your record out. It seemed like back in November, you had just been signed in the UK, and you by just uploading a few songs on your MySpace site, created a lot of interest in your music. Uh, it seemed like the record company wasn't prepared to put out your no, record no, no, as no. soon as uh, you were. No, we, we, they, you know, I just, I signed my deal with them in like September or October of 2005. So quite rightly, they didn't want to put the record out yet because the record wasn't made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we didn't really know what direction the record was going in at that point. We did, you know, we just kind of, what we had with the demos that they'd signed signed me on and you know they had Coldplay to think about and Gorillaz and Kylie Minogue and you know they hadn't put their albums out at that point so understandably they weren't in a rush and I was just kind of in a bit of a lull as far as writing was concerned and you know, I didn't really know what I was doing and yeah I guess to kind of by the time I put up some songs on the MySpace. <laughs> were you surprised that so many people responded? Oh yeah 
I mean, it took, it actually took like about four months for it to really start kicking in. And I, I, I didn't realise that the same thing wasn't happening to everyone else. And I think, you know, people started saying, you know, people started writing about it in newspapers in England and stuff. And I was like, oh, OK, maybe I'm special. <laughs> you know, you, you realize, Lily, at the ripe old age, of, you're still 21, right? Yeah. Uh, you, t- you made a point when I interviewed you for the newspaper of saying you don't want to do this forever. You're doing it now because you enjoy You realize you have another career in the future as a marketing executive, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, it's, I just had, a, had a conversation with my um, A&R person this morning at the label because, you know, there's this kind of like whole big thing at the moment about iTunes kind of bullying people into corners by making sure they have extra you know, extra songs so that they can put them on the front page and they, they won't put you, you know, advertise your album unless you give them kind of extra material and so on. And, you know, we've kind of been backed into a corner. We want to kind of do this remix, but the remix isn't ready, but they need it delivered by today and blah, blah, blah. So I said, OK, well, fine, give iTunes the rubbish remix and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll get the, the people that are remixing it to do a good remix and then we'll give it away for free on MySpace, so... <laughs> I think what people respond to, Greg, is is Lily's attitude. You know, <laughs> among you can, other things, yeah. You, you can be a tough woman. You can be a funny woman. But it's really rare, I think, that you can be tough and funny and be a woman, which is absurd. And you just take no guff from anybody, Lily. I think the best way to illustrate that is to have you you play us. What, what are you going to play for us first? Um, we will do LDN for you first, which is text speak for now, London. <laughs> uh, there uh-huh. is there is attitude in this song, yeah. as there is in every one of your songs. <laughs> Where did it come from before you launch into it? Oh, uh, it's kind of a metaphor for life, actually, about how things you know, seem really good on the surface, but actually when you look a little bit closer, it's not so nice. Excellent. Riding through the city on my bike all day Cos the filth took away my licence It doesn't get me down and I feel okay Cos the sights that I'm seeing are priceless Everything seems to look as it should But I wonder what goes on behind doors A fella looking dapper and he's sitting with a slapper Then I see it's a pimp and it's crack core You might laugh, you might frown Walking round London town Sun is in the sky Struggling with bags from Tesco's There were people from the city having lunch in the park I believe that it's called Alfresco When a kid came along to offer a hand But before she had time to accept it It's her over the head, doesn't care if she's dead Cos he's got all her jewellery and wallet
Beautiful. <laughs> Lily Allen and her two bandmates. We didn't introduce these gents, Lily. They're not important. <laughs> Spoken like a true rising star. LDN, tech speak for London. I'm joking. I, it's Shucks and Shannon, by the way. Shucks on guitar and Shannon on the keyboards. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I, you know, the way you sing Al Fresco in that song, it just slays me every <laughs> single time. That is one of the, like my favorite vocal moments on any pop song in the last 20 years. <laughs> you know how there's just certain moments? I don't know what it is. The, the way you, you you just love. Well, you're creating this beautiful sunny scene of London, and then some old lady's getting her, getting her pocket picked, and somebody just knocked her down. It's, a, it's this beautiful sunny Caribbean vibe, and then suddenly you've got all this violence in the background. <laughs> listen more closely. My God, it's really kind of a dark song. But people have um, always said over the past few months that, you know, the American audience might not be able to understand the kind of English references and there's the reference to Tesco's. But actually, I'm convinced that, you know, Tesco's have done quite a good marketing thing because they've, they've opened a first branch in California this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was to coincide with my album release. Have they hit you up yet to uh, sell the song to them for an advertising jingle? No. <laughs> That's good. You make it sound like such an accidental career that you're in the midst of enjoying, and yet music's been a part of your life from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, what a sophisticated, you know, at 21, we've got reggae and ska and calypso and the sort of 60s, 70s jet set, bachelor pad music, <laughs> kind of easy listening vibe. You're a deep new wave fan. I mean, I'm not just talking Blondie. I'm talking Rip Rig and Panic, right? <sighs> How did you become so obsessed with music? You know what? I'm not. I mean, I am. A, I just I enjoy music because it's always been in the background throughout my life. But I've never been the kind of person to rush out and go and buy an album. I very rarely listen to albums from the start to the finish. Anyway, you know, I know what songs I like and I download them onto my iPod. I'm mm-hmm. not really an avid music fan. But my mum was a huge music fan. My dad's a huge music fan, and it didn't seem very important to me at the time when I was a kid. And even you know, I started kind of getting into rubbish pop music, and you know, when my early early teens, kind of when I was like eleven or twelve or something. And then when I, when I left school at fifteen, I started going out to nightclubs, and I start hearing all of these songs that I'd heard in my childhood, uh, and it kind of rung a bell, and I was like, oh, wait a second, I know, I know this stuff. Mm. And it was it was something for me to kind of attach myself to and, and for me to call my, mine to there. <laughs> we think everything, everyone is you are listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We'll be back in a minute with more of our conversation with Lily Allen.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to get back to our discussion with Lily Allen. You know, Greg, her childhood seemed to prime her for a life in entertainment. Her father, Keith Allen, is a well-known British personality, and we also wanted to ask her about another important figure in her life. Tell us about Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe was a great, amazing guy. I mean, you knew you knew Joe Strummer of the Clash's Uncle Joe. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it was he was kind of more the Godfather, really. I mean, we used to, I mean, we used to see him all the time. But you know, the kind of most prolific moments, I guess, with him was always at Glastonbury Festival because we always used to have like a huge campfire together, and it was his family and my family, and you know, other kind of family friends and you know there'd be a big group of like 60 of us all kind of sitting around the campfire for a week and a half (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and believe me they they got in some some pretty crazy states which really make you get to know a person (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah you know he was amazing and i think that the thing about joe was is that i never i never really realized who he was until he died you know I, i went to his funeral and you know there was like 17 fire engines outside mm. and everyone saluting as his coffin went past and it was like what, wait a second what, who the hell was Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. And seeing all the wreaths of the flowers and it was like oh wait a second. Th- that just says so much about him as a person because he never gave off that kind of like I'm a rock star vibe. Mm-hmm. It was he was just Did he ever give you any advice about music, or did you ever talk music with him? Um, he actually, I actually sang with him on stage at Wembley when I was um, 14 or 15. I sang I Fought the Law and White Riot, and wow. it was him and Paul Simonon and Mick Jones were all playing, and they were supporting The Who. Oh. So uh, this, is just, this is just kid stuff to you now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. You've done Wembley with The Clash, so this is kind well, of Well, that like was <laughs> the funny thing, because we actually played Wembley a few months ago, like supporting Scissor Sisters, and I walked up on the stage, and I was like, yeah. Second time. <laughs> yeah, I own this Everyone place. Was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I played here before. <laughs> well, the key is, Lily, that you had this performing, performing thing in your blood in a way, but I think the real key to your transformation is your songwriting. I think one, one of the most original songwriters you know, we've heard, certainly in the U.S., uh, and I can only imagine what they think of you in the U.K., but... Uh, they uh, hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so you know, the backlash the ba- has already the started. The backlash has started, yeah. <laughs> but the songwriting Lily thing... Lily Allen, that's so 2006. The, the the songwriting is really strong, and how did how did it come about that you started writing songs? Um, it's quite simple, really. I had a manager called George Lamb, um, who is uh, not my manager anymore. He's now a TV presenter in the UK. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but when he was my manager, he made it very clear to me. He was like, "Yeah, okay, you can sing, but so can a million other people, uh, and you're not going to make any money if you don't write your own songs." So I was like, "Oh, okay. Uh, better find some inspiration from somewhere." <laughs> Well, you, you told me you would write many of your tunes at the microphone. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, mm. you know, I, I'm so lazy, you know. There's a reason that I don't go to the gym, and there's a reason that <laughs> I never handed in any of my homework, and there's a reason that I never learned guitar or piano properly when I was young, and that's because I'm a really lazy person. <laughs> um, so there's no way I'm going to carry a notebook around and be like, oh, yes, I definitely draw inspiration from that curtain there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it, you know it's very kind of on the spot. That's just the way that I do it. But those are really detailed, descriptive, vivid songs. You you see a picture in your head. You don't even need to see the video of LDN to know what's going on. It's very cinematic. Um, so you're sitting there improvising this stuff. It's almost like a hip hop artist at the at the mic. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you hear the track so, I mean, and you, and you I, improvise. Yeah, what I do is, you know, I'll come up with a subject matter for the song and usually, you know, I'll just write one big thing in the middle and then brainstorm and I just think of as many kind of visual things that make sense with the, with the subject matter and then hopefully a couple of them rhyme. <laughs> and if not, you make up some that do. <laughs> can, can you illustrate that? Give, give, you're going to do another tune for us and tell us what the genesis of this one. Well, was. like with, well, with LDN, the one that I just did. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember sitting on the tube and and seeing a late like an, a, a lady with bags, Tesco bags, and I just thought well, that's such a kind of an image that people see every day that is so sums up the city in which we live and the country in which we live. But not, people don't necessarily um, articulate, you know, and. Mm. I remember kind of writing that down and thinking, oh, okay, Tesco is not a very good word that rhymes with anything. Alfresco. People have lunch in the park. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of my, my way of writing songs, which is probably uh, not very pleasing for people to hear. <laughs> it's not something. Well, LDN, no, no, it's cool. LDN is one of those songs where you're looking outward at the rest of the world instead of inward. A lot of this record, All Right Still, was inspired by a relationship that went bad. Mm. Well, a couple, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, that's what I was talking about before when I said tough and funny. Right. It's kind of like you getting even on the guys who've done you wrong. Mm-hmm. The album is uh, stock full of these lines that, you know, when somebody's done you wrong and you, you wish you had the perfect, you know, but you never do at the moment. You never have the perfect put down at the moment to say, oh, yeah, well, you're small in the game, buddy. All right. You know, and, and it, this is a whole album or in large part a collection of those perfect lines. Yeah. Did you have them when you needed them? No, oh, no, definitely not. And I don't think that, you know, I think that the other the other part of it was, that, you know, when the boys in question did leave me. They didn't really, you know, they'd left me. They didn't care what I was saying, but now they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had the last laugh. Yeah. Uh, should we do another song? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, this one is called Smile. Back then, but with 
with a little help from my friends, I found a light in the tunnel at the end. And now you're calling me up on the phone, so you can have a little wine and a moan. It's only because you're feeling alone. Now at first, when I see you cry, it makes me smile. Yeah, it makes me smile. Now at worst, I feel bad. breakthrough single i just love the perversity of uh, <laughs> such a sunny wonderful uplifting melody and and then when, when i see you when i see you cry it makes me smile take that <laughs> feel sorry for that guy in some way that poor guy Don't. <laughs> he was an awful <laughs> oh man that attitude is great I, and I have to say, Lily, Lily Allen, our guest here on Sound Opinions, not only is the music terrific, but one of the reasons I think people have come to the music and have, like Lily Allen, is it's you you have a career as a blogger, as a as a writer, because this blog is just like from the travails of Maggie May, the kidnapping of Maggie May, and the and the rescue, the heroic rescue, to uh, some really serious issues that you tackled. I loved what you had to say about the NME, the most prestigious music publication in the UK. You were supposed to be a cover star for uh, their uh, Women of Cool, the Cool List mm-hmm. uh, cover story, and, and got bumped for a band called Muse. Uh, <laughs> and you wrote on your on your website in response to the editor who said, you know, nonetheless, we think uh, th- these are hugely talented women who have taken hold of the music scene in 2006. They're also living proof that you can still rock a crowd when you're wearing stilettos. And, and you, in response, wrote, I mean, how f- patronizing you can still rock a crowd wearing stilettos is that all we are stiletto wearing people is that all he can say that we brought a new energy to the music scene don't make me sick we've always been here you arrogant this was your chance to actually show you meant it and instead you put muse on the cover i mean again (laughs) yes you're you're tackling a number of issues there i mean uh, you know not only music journalism but the whole issue of you know where women fit into this milieu and it's amazing that here we are in 2007 still talking about women in stilettos can bring as much energy as men to to well, the Well, I think, stage. you know, what was even what was insulting about what he said in that kind of little paragraph as well is that you know it's like it was like finally women had arrived and it's <laughs> yeah. like i'm sorry have you heard of patty smith or 
Blondie or any you know, any of these kind of significant women in music. It's like, I mean, how insulting. And the fact that he's the editor of what supposedly is meant to be, you know, the biggest, you know, music magazine, weekly magazine in, in England. I mean, that, that's just, what does that say about our society yeah. in general? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I think that, you know, people like that shouldn't be allowed to run magazines like that. <laughs> it, it's a slippery slope, Lily, uh, when 40-year-old when white guys like Greg and I talk about feminism, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I consider myself a feminist. There's this post-feminist movement, which if I, if I can synopsize correctly, it, it means Britney Spears is okay to have a boob job because she is in control of selling her sexuality. Therefore, you know, she's not demeaning herself. Uh, where do you, what do you think about that? Well, you, know, you know, what do you what? think I about think feminism, post-feminism? Obviously, you know, you, you, th- there are a lot of pretty pictures of you. <laughs> you know, that's part of the package. Yeah. Well, I, that's because I'm a very pretty lady. Well, there you go. <laughs> 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 but we would have booked you anyway. Um, yeah, but you know, I mean, there's so, I think it's, it's, it's slightly nauseating how people... Basically, they're selling sex. And you see bands like the Pussycat Dolls or, you know, Britney Spears or Paris Hilton or whoever, you know, these people are. And it's like they're trying to justify it. And they keep using words like empowering and aspirational. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I don't think that's very empowering for five-year-old girls to, to, to watch TV and think, right, oh, okay, in order to get noticed and to get far in this world, I should basically lose lots of weight and get my boobs out. You know, and also be spending loads of money on clothes and handbags, and you know, I, th- I just think it, I just think it's a really bad message that we're sending out to young people, and I, and and it really it upsets me, you know, because it's only it's only getting worse, right? And that's you know, it's 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 something that needs to be looked at and needs to be worked on because it's really irresponsible. There should definitely be, you know, laws making sure that these videos aren't going out before seven o'clock in the evening or something. You know, it's I mean, it's. <laughs> You don't let kids see so much violence, so why should you let them see so much basically sex, which is what it is? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and just just because it makes money doesn't mean it's okay. She's my hero. <laughs> That's right. You know, my daughter was all uh, excited about Ashley Tisdale. It was yeah. one of the high school musicals. I said, and she's ten. I said, no, no, no. Listen to this. <laughs> Lily Allen, this is who you want to be. Uh, I've got a 15-year-old daughter that's got smile on her iPod all the time. So since last summer, it was like, you know, the soundtrack. Is this what, is this what boys do to you, Dad? Take it from an expert. It's at the, yeah. we're at the risk of our offspring, you <laughs> yeah, know, coming know. up with lines like that to throw at us. But that's yeah. okay. I want her to be feisty. Exactly. exactly. Thank you so much, Lee. This has been a, a complete and utter treat to have you here on Sound Opinions. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Next up, Jim and I are going to review the latest release from legendary Brazilian composer Caetano Veloso. Veloso, one of the legendary figures in world music, uh, native of Brazil, 
singing in his native Portuguese. A new record called Say, in a 40-year career that spans back to the 60s. Uh, Caetano is now 64 years old. But for those of you who have not heard of this man before, and perhaps you haven't because he doesn't tour the United States that often. He's been all over the world uh, with his music, but he's perhaps least known in the United States. Uh, He was one of the founding fathers of the Tropicali movement in Brazil in the 60s, which essentially broke down all the barriers uh, to music in that country, and he was reviled for it. He, He created a musical revolution that makes what happened in San Francisco in the 60s pale by comparison. These people were being put in jail. They were being harassed for bringing in elements of Western pop music, uh, European art music, anything they could get their hands on and incorporating it with traditional Brazilian music. The leftists saw this as a repudiation of Brazilian purism. The government authorities on the right saw them as a threat to the order in the country. Um, Caetano was exiled from the country for a couple of years, could not live in Brazil, returned to the country as kind of a a folk hero, and has continued to make albums there and throughout the world with a variety of collaborators. This is the latest of an odyssey that has uh, transcended four decades, recorded with a young rock trio that includes his son Moreno. Yeah, 40 years younger than him. They're (laughs) all in their 20s. Yeah, it's the first time he has made an album with this particular sound, with this particular format. He has done all sorts of music in his career, experimented in all sorts of genres, and now he's done a stripped-down rock record. Let's hear a track from him. It's called Say, and the track that we're going to play is called Rocks on Sound Opinions. song Rocks by Catano Veloso from his new album Say. He calls it his clandestine rock album, Greg. It's a first for him in a lot of ways. Uh, Twelve originals. Mm-hmm. Rare for him. Uh, he's known uh, for his covers, including some by Bob Dylan, and many people consider him the uh, South American Dylan. We are obviously at a loss here, uh, you and I, not speaking Portuguese, not being able to necessarily uh, appreciate his literary wit. There are translations in the record, which I think is a, is a very helpful addition. Well, yeah, the, because the lyrics record. the lyrics are great. I mean, here's this 64-year-old guy at one point singing, I only envy longevity and multiple orgasms. <laughs> very funny uh, lyricist. I think, though, this is not a beginning-to-end successful album. It has a lot of the influence of American post-rock, a dreaded genre name, uh, <laughs> including by most of the post-rockers, intertwining sinuous guitar lines and kind of post-new wave or post-punk or art rock. And sometimes that sinks the arrangements. At other times, his tendency to bring in other genres that don't have anything to do with anything. I don't think it's Caetano Veloso at his best. I disagree. I I think uh, the man has never sung better. Uh, At 64, he just keeps getting better. 
a lot of uh, singers, let's face it, once they get into their 60s, they're losing their voice and their range. Uh, he seems to be, he just seems totally in control. His natural sense of elegance, uh, no matter how subversive or how unsettling the environment he's put in, and this is a very unsettling environment. It's a very stripped-down combo. There's no place to hide here. He's never sounded more sly or subversive to me. I, the sound, forget about what he's singing about, and what he's singing about is very interesting and very inventive, very blunt-spoken in some instances, very uh, poetic in other instances. But just the sound of the man's voice is incredibly seductive. Yeah, but what about the songs? I agree. His his vocals are, are really impressive, but I don't like a lot of these songs. It is sort of off-putting. It's kind of weird. It's strange. I think he's in new territory here. I think he's creating another hybrid type of record, the kind of music that was really ticking off those Brazilian authorities and those Brazilian purists back in the 60s, where he was mixing and matching stuff that didn't necessarily belong together. But I have to say, by the by the 10th or 12th listen, and you know, it, you do have to spend a little time <laughs> with this. 10th or 12th listen. That's a, I, a pretty demanding... Uh, I agree. It is demanding, Jim. That's a good word for it. You have to meet this record halfway. But once I did, I fell in love with it. And I found this record uh, terrific. I think it's your hero worship uh, for this guy uh, getting the better of you. <laughs> I think also the fact that you've been trying to get the Tribune to send you to Brazil to write the Tropicalista story for years... I'm sorry, Greg. It's it's a burn it record. There are interesting moments, and this guy is a legendary character. I think you'd be better off with any of the numerous reissues of of his work that have come out in recent years. The best of samplers. It's a burn it record. Uh, I think it's a buy it for me. It's uh, one of the best voices of our time in prime form. <laughs> In a minute, on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to review a much-buzzed-about new record from Peter, Bjorn, and John, and Jim DeRigatis will have a Desert Island Jukebox pick. Boulevard. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That's a song called Paris 2004 from an album called Writer's Block by a Swedish trio called Peter, Bjorn, and John. I'm inserting the comma. It kind of bugs the copy editor in me that there's no comma between Peter, Bjorn, (laughs) and John. But these are three individuals, all of whom are singing, and they've been kicking around in Stockholm, Sweden since 1999. But this third album is the one that is uh, positioned to be their breakthrough, at least in the States. It is probably the most hyped indie rock release so far in 2007. It's there for two reasons. The group got a big leg up (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, last year, last fall, when uh, a song called Young Folks was uh, included on the soundtrack of Grey's Anatomy and became kind of a minor underground hit. The other reason, I think, is that there's a big uh, sonic departure for this group here, which has always been a kind of pleasantly lilting folk pop band on its first two albums. Uh, Here, they are getting very ambitious with their production, throwing in everything and the kitchen sink. You've got shoegazer noise guitar, a la Jesus and Mary Chain or My Bloody Valentine at times, and New Order disco grooves, all sorts of studio flourishes, steel drums and tubular bells and craftwork synthesizers and a chorus of all whistles going on. It's a very ambitious record. We're going to hear this track that that put them on the map, Young Folks, put them on the map for most people anyway, and uh, then give our opinions on it uh, on Sound Opinions. things about that song, Young Folks, from Peter Bjorn and John's uh, third record, Writer's Block. Uh, one of the best bass lines in the last 20 years, maybe? <laughs> great bass <laughs> You can line. build an entire planet of sound on that bass line alone. It reminds me of those great James Jamerson bass lines yeah. in Motown, or the bass line on Staying Alive, whatever yeah, yeah, you think yeah, about the yeah. Bee Gees. That bass line was amazing. What's you can get other? it out of your head. Number two, Darn Good Whistling? And the whistling. All I right, mean, yeah, best darn, whistling darn on a ro- good whistling. Best whistling on a rock song since John Lennon. <laughs> Jealous <laughs> guy, right? Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, right away you've got these two very engaging hooks the rest of the record isn't quite up to that standard but there's a lot of songs that are darn close and uh, I love this record the melodies are terrific 
it is a bit more produced than the, the last record, but you can see on that song in particular, it's still minimalist pop. I mean, yeah. they, they strip it down to the essential elements, and they emphasize them. Three guys who write songs, play a lot of different kinds of instruments, harmonize together. I mean, it, it is a very self-contained unit. After a couple of so-so records, this third one is the one that's uh, breaking through for me, and I think it's one of the best records of the year so far. Greg, it's interesting. In the indie blogosphere, you're seeing all sorts of names dropped to uh, put these ba- the guys in perspective. Bell and Sebastian is an influence mm-hmm. that people hear a lot. Uh, Arcade Fire, I, I don't really hear that. To me, the tip-off on this record is a song called The Chills, yep. which is a song about the cult favorite New Zealand pop band of the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, like Martin Phillips, who was the leader of The Chills, these guys in PB&J, as I like to call them, <laughs> they've got that kind of uh, flair for the dark, twisted lyric, but in a romantic setting. A little this bit wistful, is, almost. A little wistful, but this is a concept record, because mm-hmm. all the songs are about relationships. Paris 2004, which we heard coming in, has this incredible line where where this absolutely smitten young lover is there looking at his partner saying, while I'm sleeping, you paint a ring on my finger with your black marker pen. <laughs> you know, but there's also a, a tart uh, end of things. You know, there are lines like, your tongue is sharp, but I miss the taste of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love this. It, it, there's a, a stumbling block that I had to overcome, and that is a certain tweeness in the vocals. They're kind of breathy and wispy mm-hmm. and just a little too darn sensitive at times but man you you can't not appreciate the hooks that permeate this record so it's a buy it record for me too on the buy it burn it trash it scale i tell you little buddy this whole island is bewitched Remember, we were shipwrecked together. Each week, one of us gets a chance to uh, pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox and pick a track that they cannot live without, and this week it's Jim DeRogatis' turn. Greg, I'm going to bring things back to uh, the conversation we had at the start of this show with Tim Fight about commercialism and, and, and rampant consumerism. Every time, I swear, I will never again be shocked or saddened by a TV commercial ruining a treasured rock anthem. (laughs) Another one comes along to prove me wrong. I thought the nadir of all time was going to be when Lust for Life by Iggy Pop appeared in a cruise line commercial. (laughs) And then uh, during the Super Bowl, which I wasn't watching, but uh, it was on in the background, I saw this commercial for it. Now, you know, when we talk about this issue, I never mention the sponsor. But in this case, I will because they're trying to reinvent themselves. They go by the initials AAR. RP, and they're trying not to say what those stand for anymore mm. because they're trying to attract younger people to join the American Association of Retired Persons. I mean, I'm 30 <laughs> years from retiring, right? There's no reason for me to join, but they want me to. And to that end, uh, there's been a lot written in the advertising press about them using a song by the Buzzcocks, the 70s English punk band for this new ubiquitous TV commercial. And you see these people who are of a certain age, but they're trying hard really to look young. And they're having a birthday party. They're throwing cake at each other. There's this big food fight. There's people dressed like gorillas. There's balloons. In fact, it actually looks like a Flaming Lips concert, right? (laughs) And the soundtrack is this Buzzcocks song, Everybody's Happy Nowadays. The irony for me in this is uh, is that this is a song that, that, that goes against the chorus. The whole verses uh, set up a miserable life. Life's an illusion. 
Love is a dream. And here are the Buzzcocks being used to sell this idyllic vision of retirement where life is a big birthday party. Everybody's happy nowadays. The Buzzcocks were saying exactly the opposite. I think this underscores the danger of using rock music in commercials where, where there is no room for irony. You can be saying black, but it, it's perceived as white. And, and I think it just, it just kills me. Let's reclaim the song. Let's reclaim the song and do as they used to do in the 70s when the Buzzcocks played. Let's gob on them. Spit on them. You guys shouldn't have sold this song. It was too good to sell. Here's the Buzzcocks. <laughs> I was tired of being upset. Always wanted something I never could get. Last mission was a dream. Pete Shelley, come on the show and explain yourself. (laughs) (laughs) What do we got next week? Jim, next week we have uh, two big records that are coming out. The Arcade Fire, one of the most talked about bands of the last couple years, uh, is coming out with their second album. We're going to be reviewing that. And we've also got a big comeback record from uh, the revered uh, blueprint for punk rock, The Stooges. Finally, the first album in 30 years, uh, The Weirdness, recorded in Chicago with Steve Albini. Good stuff. We've got some thank yous, Greg, to say on the way out, as always. Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. Uh, Lily Allen's performance was recorded by Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse. And our fearless leader, executive producer, is Mr. Tori Malatia, who would never sell out to any commercial. <laughs> I know it. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. Hi, this is Rob from Durham. North Carolina. I'm calling in response to your uh, review of Nora Jones's third record, and uh, I think you're doing her a bit of a disservice. I think she's grown more than you uh, give her credit for, mostly in her piano playing. Her voice is what it is and hasn't changed very much over the three records. But if you listen to those records back to back to back, 
you would not hear Sinkin' Soon, any, any kind of vibe like that on the first album. only 27 and i look forward to hearing what she's going to grow into in the future love the show Hi, this is john in michigan city just was listening to the show like son we heard about the esper from philly and they've got you know both of their notes are good but it's just really really boring to hear them over and over again how you can think this is good original or you know worth that much airtime is beyond me and I have good taste. Thank you. Hey guys, Jesse Campbell from Chicago calling. Just heard your piece on the Ramones. I gotta say, I never knew much about them before that this show, and I'm running out to buy rockets to Russia. Thanks for uh, educating me. Hi, this is Andy from uh, DeKalb, from Northern Illinois University. I wanted to comment, I guess, preemptively before you have Lily Allen on your show. While I think Lily Allen is great for popular music as a personality, and definitely her single, Smile and LDN, are just effervescent and absolutely lovely, I'm so confused as to why people are behind her album as a whole half the songs are really worth listening to, and I think the others are just hull home and suffer from some bad lyrics, and Take What You Take is just absolutely terrible. But nonetheless, I guess I support her in the sense that, you know, we need more pop stars like Lily Allen. But, man, I think you guys are really confused and too much in love with her to really see that her full record isn't exactly what it's cracked up to be. Have a good one. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.